What is up, guys? And thank you all for checking out this edition of New Generation Sports Talk. I am your host, EJ Stewart. We got a lot to get to on today's show. Um, we will start the show uh, talking about the passing of uh, Terrence Clark, former Kentucky guard, who was signed to an agency for Clutch Sports, headed into the NBA draft. He died in a tragic car accident just this past day in Los Angeles. So we'll give you guys the latest on that and just a absolutely terrible story. And, you know, I'm looking forward to talking about Terrence, but not in this, obviously, in this manner, considering his passing. So we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll also talk about the New York Knicks. They're playing some excellent basketball here, eight games in a row, fourth in the Eastern Conference. We'll talk about what their ceiling is for this season and beyond. Got some NFL news breaking uh, with a major trade in the AFC involving two contenders. So you don't see that often. So we'll, uh, we'll give you guys uh, the latest on that one. And some soccer news. We don't really talk about soccer a lot on this show, though me and Kendall are both pretty big soccer fans. So um, he's actually been following this story very closely, and he has very strong opinions about it. So I'm very fascinated to see what he's got to say about the whole situation involving the Super League that went down. So it's been a bit of a whirlwind week. Uh, This should be a good show, though. It will be starting on a somber note. Kendall is my co-host. Kendall, what's up, dude? Yeah, man. Um... It's funny you mentioned the the soccer, uh, the soccer story that we'll get to at the end. You know, I I almost I almost told you to to, to call up our buddies uh, uh, overseas uh, across the pond. Oh yeah, criteria. I know. Talk about it. Maybe we will eventually at some point. Yeah, but, we probably should. Yeah. Uh, it was. Uh, I'm sure they would have an even an even deeper, <laughs> better perspective on it. But I'm sure. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll have a similar. We'll have, we'll have a similar take as most people. Uh, and so that should be fun to talk about later in the show. But, but yeah, you know, a lot of different topics. Um, some some more uh, unfortunate than others, definitely. For sure. And let's get to the, the most unfortunate of we, we have for this week. Um, again, Terrence Clark, freshman guard for Kentucky, died in a car accident this week. This was Thursday in Los Angeles. According to the police and surveillance video, he had ran a red light going at a very high rate of speed. Um, he unfortunately uh, hit another vehicle that was making a, U-turn, a U-turn, then um, then hit a light pole and eventually hit a, hit a wall. And he um, tragically died um, on his way to the hospital. It's just a terrible story. I mean, there's just no other way to, to put it. It's tragic, you know? He was 19 years old. We all understand Terrence Clark's uh, reputation coming up. As a, as a high school player, he was one of the best players in the country and was a player that we all were excited to see play at Kentucky. Some injuries set him back this season, but nonetheless had a, had a really bright future ahead of him. And to see him, uh, see his life end this tragically this early, it's just, it's just gut-wrenching. I mean, when I, I took an extended nap last night and to wake up and see... I'm seeing these tweets on my timeline that's just like, this can't be. He's so young. I'm like, what's going on? And it's all for, you know, some basketball people, basketball people that I follow. And I wasn't seeing who it was. I just saw these things. I didn't even know it was death. I didn't know what was going on. And then uh, I looked on, this, you know, I go to my search page and you know, the trends and number one trend is Terrence Clark. And I'm like, oh, no way. Like, what could have happened? And, you know, before, you know, it was very much not confirmed. A lot of just hearsay and rumors. So I was praying that it wasn't true. You know, I was, I was, I was praying. I was like, I, I'm, you know, I'm not hearing anything from anybody that's, you know, a reporter or anything like that. So you're just hearing people on Twitter say maybe somebody got it wrong. Maybe he wasn't a bad car accident, but he's fine. 
um, or at the very least he's not, you know, dead. And and then unfortunately, then you get the word. I think uh, uh, a local uh, a sports director in uh, Lexington had it was the first I think to confirm that he had indeed passed away. And um, and it's just tough, you know. And and I'll talk a little bit, a little bit more about it on the uncommitted. But you know, we started the uncommitted podcast, which is you know here on you know the audio channels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so on and so forth, and also on YouTube as a just a show dedicated to just high school recruiting, college recruiting, because it's something that me and Kendall are so passionate about. We follow these guys since they're little kids. And I was it was important one, I think just to cover that because it's a big deal, but also I think just as as fans of the sport, you know, I really enjoyed getting back into really studying these Kylie high school guys. And Terrence Clark Kendall was probably one of my favorite players to to talk about, one of my favorite players to watch. Um because to me, as I tweeted today, he, he, he played like someone from my city. You know, I know he's, he's a proud Bostonian, but uh, he, he definitely, you know, kind of exemplifies the city game. And he played with that city flair and that city uh, charisma. But he always played with a smile on his face. And he just, uh, he just seemed like a fun guy. And in every, you know, um, every interview he did, he also seemed to be a very just enjoyable person, loving life, loving ball, to hear that this happened. I, my heart goes out to his family. Uh, my heart goes out to Big Blue Nation because I, I know I've seen just so much, so many touching tributes about Terrence, and obviously my heart goes out to his teammates and, and the rest of the fans that have followed him up from his you know playing days in high school. It's just a terrible story. I just I, I keep hoping that it's not true. Like to wake up and see that he had passed and that Shock G. Shout out to Shock G. Uh, rest in peace, rapper from um, Digital Underground. Bad producer from Digital on the Ground, like hearing that, I just like I thought I really thought it was like maybe this is a bad dream. Like it can't this can't be real. And um it was unfortunate obviously that both were real. But definitely uh our condolences to, to the to the Clark family. This is just terrible. Yeah, yeah, you said um said a lot of a lot of good things there. I mean, uh, I echo, you know, same kind of similar experience. You know, I um you know, also found out on Twitter, you know, through just, again, similar seeing people cryptically talking about someone passing away or someone, you know, he said being so young and you, you don't know who they're talking about. Um, and I saw a tweet of somebody talking, uh, somebody, uh, you know, kind of replying to a Terrence Clark tweet. And then you, you piece two and two together. Um, you know, obviously there was the initial reports, BJ Boston was there and obviously he was, you know, now we know in the car behind, um, and he's okay, but you know, it was, it was a, uh, like just very startling because you never really think about that as a, as a, as a possibility. Um, you know, all these guys, we talk about, you know, similar to the Kobe situation, all these guys, you know, feel like, you know, invincible, um, and, you know, it's it, for that to happen, you know, when he was doing, I mean, he was coming back from a workout. He had just signed with Clutch Sports the day, the day before, coming back from a workout with BJ Boston and the rest of those Clutch sport, Sports guys that they had signed. Um, it's, uh, I mean, obviously, like you said, it's, it's, it's a shame. Um, I've, you know, I, Terrence Clark's been a guy that, that, that's been on my radar for, least three four years um you know this this recruiting class or his recruiting class i should say um this draft class 
is one that I've I've personally played paid close attention paid uh close attention to because you know it was one of the first ones that Penny Hardaway really at, at Memphis I was in Memphis basketball was able to prioritize going after a lot of the top guys mm-hmm. and one of them that he prioritized was Terrence Clark right. so that was a guy also being a Celtics fan I knew the relationship that Terrence Clark had with Jalen Brown right. and you know Jason Tatum and you find out that Brad Stevens says this looked up to Terrence Clark and I didn't know Kemba Walker had a close relationship with Terrence Clark you know I, mean, I, this, I didn't know uh, uh Donovan Mitchell Jazz also I yeah both those guys went to um they both went to Brewster Academy yeah. um you know I mean what what I think this shows you is how close the NBA community and the in the just the basketball community is right you know like it could be you could be talking about the best players in the NBA you know, super bored, you know, bona fide superstars, and how they were so close to, you know, a high school basketball player and a college basketball player, and Terrence Clark, and they looked at him as as a peer, um, you know, and you know, again, it's 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 so unfortunate, um, you so close, you know, to to, to changing his, his his life, so close to changing and reaching his dream, um. You know, I, I mean, this is this is this is one of those things that I wonder if it's gonna make guys, you know, think about just the idea of. And this isn't any sort of referendum on the NCAA. I mean, obviously these guys should be getting paid, mm-hmm. um, but you know, it's not that obviously this isn't this isn't their fault necessarily. But like, had Terrence Clark been able to go straight to the NBA. Um, you know, at least he would have been set up financially, um, you know, and he would have gotten that burden or that weight off his back, uh, you know, so that, that's one of those things that I think it's a very, you know, traumatizing situation. And of course you have all these, all the, the, all the guys that are going to get drafted this year or guys that got drafted last year, guys are going to get drafted next year. Again, such a tight knit community. All these guys that have played at these camps, all-star games, these AAU tournaments, mm-hmm. like they all know Terrence Clark, every single one of them. So on some level, they've either played against him or they know him or they're really close to him. They've either played on the same high school team. So, like, there are hundreds of guys that are in the NBA that are going to be in the NBA next year or going to be in the NBA the year after that you know have played or know Terrence Clark personally. So that's why this is such a this is such a rough. Um, it's such a rough situation, um, and it's gonna, it's gonna, it, this is, it's gonna be a kind of a, you know, it's just, a, it's just gonna be a, a, a like, just gonna be a sad story, um, you know. I was, I was, I, I was too. Was I, was I born when Malik Seeley died, or was I too young? I don't even remember. Uh, you know? I know that was. Yeah, a, I feel like I feel like you would have been young. I think he died in two thousand, so you were probably like yeah. three. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and he was in the NBA at that point, but right. you know, I mean, that's that's kind of what this reminds me of. Yeah, no, shout out to Malik Sealy, um, and rest in peace. But yeah, no, um, yeah, it's just it's just it's just just awful, you know. And I was funny, you know, I talked to you about how I had recently for the first time watched the Cal Powery, 
uh, one and not done documentary, Thirty for Thirty. I had seen it in bits and parts, you know, because it, you know, ESPN plays the Thirty for Thirties periodically throughout on all their channels. But I never sat down and watched the whole thing as in its entirety. It's a very, very good documentary. Um, it's funny. I see people online have like not ranked it as high, and I was like, I don't know what they're talking about. Like I watched it; it was fantastic. But what, what was crazy is you know the story about Dewan Wagner and how him telling Dewan Wagner to you know to go to college. I mean, excuse me, to go to go to the NBA. Dewan Wagner wanted to come back for his second, his sophomore season. Yeah, he wanted to come back for his sophomore season. He's like, there's no way you're going to be a top top pick in the draft. You're you're going to the NBA. He wasn't going to let. Him. Yeah, he refused to let him come back. He tore up his scholarship in front of him when he walked into. He came into John Calipari's house to talk about coming back. He literally tore up his scholarship. And you know, the more of the story being that you know Wagner, you know, had a, a up and down rookie year, but certainly she was showing some promise. And then he has the issues with the stomach, yes. and they end up being career ending essentially. And how. You know, had Kyle Powery told him, and Kyle John talked about it, he's like, if I had told him, I'd let him come back. And he has that issue at Memphis. And who's to say he ever becomes a lottery pick? Who's to say he gets drafted even if the, if the issues, you know, the issues were really bad that he had in Cleveland? Like, yeah. his literally his life would have been different if Kyle Powery didn't tell him, you're going to the NBA. Yeah. Millions, it made him millions of dollars. Yeah, he made millions of dollars that he would not have had. He just wouldn't have had it. Um, yeah. And that shows you just how, how important these decisions are. So this, to me, when I think about that, this has got to be the flip side of Cal. Like, he's just got to be sick today. And I know he is because he, he, he wrote, he penned a really um, yeah. emotional letter today, open letter, about Terrence. But, like, that's got to be just, like, sickening because this, this is, like, almost the same thing, but, like, he couldn't even get into the league fast enough. Like, you know, he's just yeah. literally months away. And and that's what, you know, as you say, when you talk about these kids and these decisions they got to make, like, life is very short, is super precious, it's uh um you know it's it's just something you gotta just uh take take you know take every day as it is and and, and to to love your people you know and love your family because you just you know you can't take any stuff for granted as we're seeing we I mean if there's any time that has reminded us of that it's been this last year plus um yeah see COVID and Kobe and just like just you know life is very precious and very much. Um, out of our hands in some ways. So, rest in peace to Terrence Clark. And again, my condolences to his family, to all Big Blue Nation, and just the basketball community as a whole, who have grown to know him fairly well and enjoy his game. And to again, to think that we won't it also, play again, it's just terrible. Yep. Yeah, to me, last thing is just like, you know, that the, when you think about Terrence Clark and... He was him, you know, BJ Boston, who also shout out to BJ Boston because obviously sure. he's, I'm, I imagine he's going through an even tougher time yep. than a lot of us. Considering he was at that scene, he probably saw some of the some of the the, the more graphic stuff. But um, so hopefully he can he can recover, you know, uh, from from what from what happened uh, for him mentally. But you know, Terrence Clark, BJ Boston, the entire t- Kentucky team. I mean, they 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 caught a lot of flack. I mean. Yeah. Let's be honest. And to me, I hope that, you know, not just for Big Blue Nation, who, you know, I mean, they were, they were, they were, you know, criticizing Terrence Clark, you know, when he was hurt, saying, oh, he, he's trying to get to the NBA, mm-hmm. you know, and criticizing all these guys. And it's not just Big Blue Nation. It's every, it's every fan across the country, 
It's people on TV who analyze these players in the draft. I mean, Russell Westbrook said it a couple weeks ago, and he, you know, he was going back and forth with Stephen A. Smith uh, yeah. in the media, and he was saying that that these guys have to be careful with the way they talk about these young players, yeah. you know, and that how you can affect these guys. And to me, I just hope that after seeing something like this happen, that we could be just more. Just more cautious about how we how we talk about these guys. I mean, nice. and really just appreciate these guys' talents. Darren Clark wasn't a perfect player, but who cares? That's, yeah. that's got nothing to do. With, he was gonna he was gonna change his family's life. Mm-hmm. He was gonna get drafted, I, regardless of where he was gonna get drafted, whether it was the first round, whether it was the top five, whether it was pick forty five in the second round. He was gonna change his family's life. He already mm-hmm. really already did. Yeah. Once he signed with Clutch Sports, like to me, like that is that those are the important things, you know. And so when I think about even we got the NFL draft coming next week, mm-hmm. whether or not Devonte Smith weighs 160 pounds or 190 pounds, right. is in the grand scheme is not really that relevant. He's going to play in the NFL, and again, it may be relevant for those teams that are making those selections, and that's, you know, those teams have those internal discussions. But, as just a public discourse, we just have to appreciate these guys for what they are, which is spectacular, spectacular athletes and spectacular people um, in many cases as well. Uh, facts, 100%. I co-sign everything you just said. I mean, just our discourse, our public discourse just as a community of people just needs to be way better. But, when we keep it to just sports, it's 100%, you know, it's just, you know, it's almost like, I feel like sometimes when we talk about these athletes, it's like, we don't, we don't look at them as people. They're just, they're just like soldiers that have no minds or bodies. You can say whatever you want about them and it don't matter. And like, it does, it really does. You know, they, what you say about somebody affects somebody's family, affects somebody's, you know, uh, you know, community and it affects them personally, you know? So, um, you know, I know Russ, it was kind of like, I know there was kind of like backlash to some of the stuff he was saying, but there's some truth to that. You know, there's some truth yeah. to like, at the end of the day, this is all a game. You know, and it's funny, Andrea will marry that all the time. As much as I love the Knicks and I'm rooting hard and I'm getting, you know, boisterous and frustrated over things, whether it's the Knicks or just the refereeing, it might not even be like my team. It could be the referees or the other team. You know, sometimes keep that in perspective. Hey, man, this is a game. This is games for enjoyment, because have fun. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll analyze, we'll critique. I'm not going to, you know, pull punches and I'm not saying we do right. that, but there's a level of respect that I think has, has been lacking because, uh, entertainment, you know, to be the most entertaining sometimes means to be the most disrespectful, unfortunately. And I think because yeah. of that, you have people that are trying to top one another with how bombastic and how outrageous can I be? in order to be quote unquote more successful and quote unquote make more money. And, um, you know, like when Kobe passed, like, you know, to think about, to see these folks who for whatever, I'm not even getting to their agendas, but they had agendas to speak down on his name as a player trying to come around. Like I'd never want to be in that position ever in my life. Like, like I never want to be in a position where my critique of somebody as an athlete now I got to be careful and try to walk back what I've said in the past because of what he played as a player because he passed away tragically. Like, to me, when you guys start doing that, you guys start looking in the mirror and being like, what What am I doing here? And I saw a lot of folks on social media after his passing 
you know, cop and please about Kobe. Kobe Bryant. Again, think about how great that man was as a basketball player. Um, and, and it's just like, for what? Like, what? Like now what? You got your clout, and now you're doing this. So I just hope that, you know, these, these tragic situations kind of puts it all in perspective. You know, we could like what we like, not like what we don't like, but the respect got to maintain. And I hope that we can continue that. But um, I do want to talk about uh, the New York Knicks. Uh, it's been really a remarkable stretch for the Knickerbockers. Um, and, you know, I'm the resident Knicks fan on this podcast. You know, I, I this is not a Knicks podcast. So, though, I mean, we, we do talk about them more than probably most normal general sports podcasts because there's a Knicks fan on here. But I don't like to shoehorn them unnecessarily into the podcast just for the sake of talking about them. I could talk about them for 12 hours if I wanted to. But um, but there's a lot of stuff to get to. But the Knicks truly have earned this spot near the top of the show, and they would have been the top of the show had it not been, again, for the tragic passing of Terrence Clark. As really the talk of, of definitely the NBA and arguably the talk of sports right now. I mean, um, they've won eight in a row. They won an overtime game this past uh, week against the Hawks that moved them into fourth. In the Eastern Conference, their record is now 33-27. and 27. The odds of them making the playoffs, you know, it's still a tight race. You know, just to keep in perspective, they're still only a game and a half up on Miami, who's in the seventh spot, which is where you get into that playing situation. But still, things look really good. I mean, they're, they're, they're playing really good basketball. And it has people kind of wondering, you know, what is the ceiling for this team, um, considering how well they've played? Julius Randle... Continues to excel. He had 40 points in that. Uh, he had, he had uh, my, as my uh, Alexa thought I was wanting to play Jadakus. I don't know what I said that made me think I wanted to play that. But um, but yeah, no. Uh, I feel like they've um, yeah, now Alexa's talking. <laughs> but no, they they've played some incredible. Julie Randall, Julius Randall had 40 points in that game, and. Okay, Alexa's really going crazy now. Um, no, but I was just gonna say Julius Randall has played uh, exceptional ball here. And the Knicks as a team have really come together and have found an identity, which I think is what really, I think, when it comes to NBA basketball, for team basketball, not necessarily for, you know, individual players, but for a team, I think finding your identity is maybe the most important thing outside of acquiring talent. Uh, teams who don't know themselves or what they do well and how, they, how they're going to win games in the end are teams that struggle. I mean, they're playing teams the Knicks play Tim playing teams the Knicks played in this stretch that have much worse records. That you look at their talent, you say this team kind of got. You think they got more talent than the Knicks, but the Knicks have have hung their hat on defense. They've hung their hat on team basketball, and they just don't really beat themselves. So New York is on fire. I mean, just the excitement I've seen from the fan base. This is the most excitement I've seen since the I guess 2013 or I think it was 2013 when they went all the way to the uh, to the uh, Eastern Conference Final 2014, whatever that was. Or the Eastern Conference semifinals, they were the number two seed in the Eastern Conference. They got upset in the second round. Kendall, what do, what are, what are you making of this Knicks run, and and what do you think are their chances when it comes when it comes to the playoffs? The Knicks have been um, obviously look. They've been impressive. Um, you know, they they've played one of the best stretches of basketball we've seen all season. Um, I, I think when you're talking about a team that's been this surprising. Uh, and the last time we saw a situation like this where you had a team that was, you know, projected to be, you know, fighting for the number one pick in the draft, um, and instead now it's fighting for high playoff seating, it's, I think back to that Pacers team 
in I believe it was 2017 with uh, Victor Oladipo. They had just traded Paul George for Oladipo and Sabonis, and it seemed like all right now the Pacers are hitting the reset button. They're in, they're going to be in the running for I guess that year would have been DeAndre Ayton and Luka Doncic, and they obviously that season had one we were one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. And I think about what's the common denominator between those two teams. Well, one, I think great coaching. You know, Nate McMillan has proven this season uh, with Atlanta and obviously at his time in Indiana, he's one of the, I would say, elite coaches in the NBA, um, which is a very, uh, it's a, it's a very uh, exclusive list, but I, I yeah. would put him in that list of the top maybe five or six. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tom Thibodeau, you know, yeah. has obviously done an excellent coaching job. He, he might deserve, he, I think he deserves, you know, a look as one of the elite coaches in the NBA as well. Um, but the other, the other thing and the other, the other reason why, because look, I mean, I think people respected Nate McMillan, um, back then and they do now. And then I think people respected Tom Thibodeau's ability to coach, but I think the rosters both seemed so weak where you didn't think that that would be possible. But I think the other common denominator is you have a player in Julius Randle who has made a leap that mm-hmm. could not have been foreseen similar to what Victor Oladipo did. Um, I think that's why so many people are so off on the Knicks uh, projections this season. Um, on top of the fact that you have a guy in Emmanuel Quickly who has uh, contributed far more than any people would have expected. Of course, sure. you could, you know, you could say, oh, well, you know, people thought Toppin would be what Quickly is and Quickly would be what Toppin is, and that's fair. But yeah. um, even then, you know, we're talking about a guy who's, you know, a top five or six rookie in the league. Um, and, and then, you know, R.J. Barrett has... Not only has he made leaps, because, I mean, look, he's in the second year. You expect him to make leaps at this point. Um, but his shooting has been far more consistent than anybody could have really expected. Yeah. Like, you, um, feel, you feel better about his leap because his leap is in the thing that you needed him most to improve at. Yeah. And like, the thing, the, that, like, the thing yeah. that you looked at him, you said, this will prevent him from being a great player if he doesn't figure this out. Yeah. Yeah, and something I, I you know, if, if you would have told me, oh, yeah, Barrett's going to be far improved, I would have said that. I mean, you know, I wouldn't. the first thing I wouldn't have thought of is, oh, he, he's going to be, you know, one of the best shooters on, on their roster. You know, that that, that, that wouldn't have been the first thing I, I leapt to. But, um, yeah, no, he's, he, I mean, he's played excellent basketball, especially as of late. Um, you know, the confidence that I, that entire team is playing with. You know, and th- look, this is why... I've said for years that you gotta you gotta start winning games. You know, mm-hmm. like yep. regardless of whether or not you think your team can win a championship, you have to make moves to try and win basketball games in the interim, and then you can figure that stuff out later. I mean, it's great to have a bunch of extra draft picks as well. You know, it, the, your best case scenario, you're like the Celtics were all the years ago, where you're in the conference finals, you've got number picking draft. Like, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's ideal. But right. like, even if you can't do that, I think you'd still, you still want to continue to win games as opposed to hoping for a lottery ball to go your way. And then hoping that the pick you, got. you then make the right selection. Yeah, exactly. And that the guy is any good. Cause right. you know, you're that lottery ball could be Andrew Wiggins or Jabari Parker. Mm-hmm. Shout out to my Celtic Jabari Parker. <laughs> but that's not that, that's not somebody that you wanted to tank for in hindsight. Right. Right. Um, 
better lottery ball. I mean, it could be Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. The Celtics have gotten lucky in that regard. But, you know, I mean, there there have been other draft picks where you say to yourself, no, we got to we gotta win basketball games. That That's something that you can try to at least control. You may not right. be able to. Something you try to win and they still have injuries or they, you know, right. they just struggle, you know. But you can you got to you got to I feel like that should be the objective. And if you can't, sometimes you have to pivot and think what's best for your team long term. But um, bringing in guys like Derrick Rose, um, Normal Zoll is obviously just a very savvy signing. Um, yeah. He's somebody I would have loved for the Celtics. But, um, but you know, his relationship with the Knicks brass, I'm sure, certainly helped uh, help swing him to uh, New York. Um, they have a lot of – I mean, they have a lot of good role players – um, obviously Reggie Bullock's giving them really good minutes this year. You know, you can say what you want about Alfred Payton. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'll say, uh, oh, uh, if you want, I'll say a lot. <laughs> you know, and look, I mean, look, I told you, I told you before the season, you know, starting Alfred Payton was going to be best for the team winning games. And look, I mean, I mean, they're, they're winning games. I mean, uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know what to say, yeah, but, okay. uh, but yeah, no, I mean, this is, this is a team that like, yeah, you're not gonna get Kate Cunningham. You're not gonna get Jalen Brown or uh, Jalen Green. You're not gonna get Evan Mobley or Jalen Suggs. But um, I, to me, I would rather be in this position. Yeah, but you you, you got Julius Randle. <laughs> you have Julius Randle. You right. have R.J. Barrett, and yeah, you'll see when those guys get those minutes in the playoffs, it's going to be even more uh, influential in on their progress and on their development than. Yeah. You know, losing all of these games and then getting like these these moments that R.J. Barrett, these minutes that he's playing, where he's playing on a really good team or Emmanuel quickly. Yeah, these minutes are gonna stick with him way more than the minutes that um someone like Cole Anthony's playing in Orlando. Yeah, or just, like Anthony Edwards is playing in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, Anthony Edwards is playing in Minnesota. I mean, those you know, it's it's barely NBA basketball. Right, <laughs> right, <laughs> like. And you know it, it is what it is. It's not his fault. But like, if if the Timberwolves could have avoided that, they would have rather Anthony Edwards be developed on a team that you know is consistently competing at the highest level of the NBA, and that's what the which, Knicks are doing right yeah, now. So, which, which I think they hoped for a little bit. Where you have Cat and yeah, you have Russell. Russell. I mean, that yeah. that Timberwolves situation. I you know I I don't know if those guys will be back next year personally, but but yeah, I mean that's that's the ideal that's the ideal scenario. So. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'll let you go on the Knicks. You know, yeah. there's other stuff to touch on, but yeah. Well, the one thing I, I say I gotta say, man, is we we need to we we need to give some credit to Steve Mills and Scott Perry, who's still there. Um, it, to me, it looks like the worst thing they did was hire the wrong coach. When you look at all this thing in hindsight, you know. Um, now, maybe you say the worst thing was also not putting a team together that would actually appeal to a Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving. But, I mean, who knows what, what that, all that situation was. But the Porzingis trade, you look at it, it's re- like I said, it's really hard at this point to really say that that was a bad – you can't say it was a bad trade. At worst, it was a draw, and it's looking a lot more like Knicks won that trade. Porzingis has his injury issues. He has an extensive contract that – I just don't know if he's ever going to live up to making thirty million dollars a year. He don't look like it right now. It doesn't say that he can't, but you know it is what it is at this point. And the Knicks, even the assets they got that looked terrible, they figured out a way to still maximize them. Like Dennis Smith, 
you get Dennis Smith back and the guy can't play and he went through, you know, his mother passing away and he, he just hasn't seemed to be the same player since all of that happened. Um, but, you, you know, you thought you were getting a young piece that would be part of your future and it, it just didn't work. He just, he just was it wasn't going to happen here. And instead of just letting him just like, you know, not play and sit on the bench and then he just leaves in free agency, you got aggressive and used him in that in that expiring contract to get Derrick Rose. A move that, you know, not, not at this front office. Um, that was a great move by Leon Rose. And he got a little bit of heat for that. Nick's organization got a little heat for that. They thought, why are you getting Rose when you got quickly? And, you know, are you, you know, do you really think you're going to be able to win games and make the playoffs? Like, this might be kind of a, a fool's errand to go get a guy who really won't make that much of a difference for you and may stunt the growth of your young guard. And I, they were dead wrong. You know, I was not one of those people. So I keep saying they. I, I, I was like, I was in a wait and see with Derrick Rose. And I made that very clear. I saw this on the upside. Um, I mean, Derrick Rose has been tremendous for this team. But uh, even that asset in Dennis Smith helped improve the team. It, it took him a little while, but they figured out a way to make it work. You know, the extra draft picks gives them the flexibility moving forward. Um, signing Julius Randle. The first year, very rough. There's just no other way to describe it. He was not a, a, a number one option. He did not look like a winning player. And that's his words. I mean, that, he he will tell you that. I mean, I can tell you that because it was true. But he'll say the same thing. It was it was very clear what was going on. And he makes that leap. Um, some of these guys that the Knicks got clowned for for signing, Reggie Bullock, Todd Gibson, those guys have been life sins for the Knicks, man. Like, Todd Gibson's yeah. toughness and defense, he's not the guy he was in Chicago, dunking on Chris Bosh in the Eastern Conference Finals. But the guy is rugged. He rebounds. He defends. He's always in the right position. And he knows his role. Reggie Bullock, flamethrower. Shout out to Wally, Wally Zerbiak. I mean, he, he didn't shoot the ball well last year coming off the neck surgery. This season, he's really, really, you know, fell into that role as being the Knicks shooter. They're not a great shooting team. They don't have a lot of shooters. Uh, they shoot the ball at a pretty decent percentage but they don't shoot at a high clip because they're not the kind of team that should be taking a million threes and he's really the only guy they look at and say this guy is a shooter and he's shooting 40 percent from three he's been just a godsend for them like for him to, to, to play as well as he had those are those are mills and perry signings um that was the recovery after the the disaster of not getting any of the big guys those are three guys right there that they signed that are major contributors to this team this team would not be as good if they weren't on this team then you got Marcus Morris. Everybody's saying, oh, you got three, four power forwards. What are you doing? And yeah, maybe it didn't make sense to sign Marcus Morris in regards to him as a player. But you use that asset to get another pick. You use that pick to then get Emmanuel quickly. And now quickly is in the fold of the guy he's playing. So it, it didn't make it. So, so the, the moves that they made last year, I'm not going to say they were great moves because it didn't make sense in regards to what they were doing. But they set up the foundation for this team to turn it around. It took finding the right roles for Gibson and, and, and what's the name, for Randall to kind of step up as a leader. He wasn't ready to do it the year before, but he's ready to do it in the year two. Using the Morris asset to get something, using the uh, the the, uh, the asset of Dennis Smith to get something. And now you're looking at what they did, and you're like, hey, man, it, it may not have looked good, but they figured out a way to make it work with what they got. So they deserve some credit. Um, you mentioned R.J. Barrett's growth. He continues to be a very underrated player in this league. I don't understand it, given his high pedigree as a player coming out of Duke. You know, 
led the nation in scoring as a freshman, number one player coming out of high school. And just every single time they want to rank the best young guys in the league, they just never want to mention R.J. Barrett. I don't know. I don't, I don't. At this point, I just don't know what they want from him. He's shooting the ball well. He he can play multiple positions. He defends really well. He can, we already know he can finish, especially going left. But he's even worked on his right hand now. And he's 20 years old. He's a super young player. If you told me on any other team that a 20-year-old was the second best player on a team that was fourth in their conference and six games above 500. I'd be like, yo, man, that guy's going to be, he's going to be a brand new all-star. Like, that's that's great. You should be really excited. And for some reason, um, he continues to be slighted. And we had our conversation about Tibbs a couple of weeks ago, but I think it, you know, now becomes more profound. I really, really feel like he's got, he's got to be in the mix when you talk about coach of the year. He, like, to me, he's got to be in the top three. Like, I, I, I just don't see who else you can put ahead of him besides you know, the only conference, to me, in the Eastern Conference, he's got to be the guy. Now, in the West, you want to have a conversation about Snyder and, and Monty Williams. So we, and we had that conversation last week. You can have it. But there's no question he's right in the thick of things. And my question is, where do we start to begin the conversation for Julius Randle for MVP? Because it's starting to happen now. It was almost like a meme and a joke for Knicks fans for a long time. And I think that we, I think Knicks fans took it as a joke. Like, we didn't actually think he was the MVP of the league. But now you get into these late stretches where now you got to make the push to avoid being one of those bottom two teams in seventh and eighth seed to avoid the play-in. And Randall is playing MVP ball. I mean, there's no question with these games he's put up recently. And look at what he's done and where the Knicks would be without him. I, I would not vote for Grant Schroeder's grand for NDP. But obviously, there's a you got to vote three or four guys. I mean, I would give him strong consideration to be on my ballot. Considering where the team is, considering what they were last year, um, I don't know. Where, where, where do you stand on that? Do you feel like he has a case to be on MVP, MVP ballots this year, or do you think that's too much? Um, I mean... It's so tough, you know. It's it, it the the MVP cases for a guy like Julius Randle that, like, you just don't you just don't expect him to, to to be in that conversation. It always makes it tougher. Like, I almost feel like MVP is something. Like I also feel like it makes it tougher because I I think that considering the guys that have won MVP recently, Giannis Antetokounmpo, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, like, you know, even Russell Westbrook when he you know he won the triple double, James Harden. Like I don't know if anyone really thinks Randall is that good, right? It, they're, they're but then it's like, it's just like, well, should they? Well, <laughs> like, at what point do you start saying is he that good? He's averaging twenty four, ten, and six yeah. on a team that doesn't have a lot. Of, he doesn't have a, a a superstar next to him. He's, the next, the next best guy is twenty years old. Yeah, I mean, you know, star power shouldn't really come into play. It shouldn't, but I think subconsciously it does. I, I think it does, you know, and that that that's the tough part. Um, and I think that's why Nicole Jokic just had you know a tough time, mm-hmm. you know, kind of kind of separating himself from from some of the guys in this year's uh in this year's race as well. But yeah, I mean, theoretically, you, you know, you can certainly make the case that he that he he can be in this conversation. Um, and it's, some of it is I think is also a chicken or the egg kind of thing where. You know, it goes back to. I mean, I don't know what the I don't know what the the makeup is of how many times a guy has been guys a guy has won Coach of the Year and MVP on the same team, but I do wonder, you know, does that 
does one take away from I mean, the other? I know, I know when the Sixers went on their finals run, they had Coach of the Year, player like MVP in Iverson, Sixth Man of the Year, and Matombo right and went defensive player. I think they might have swept it, which was like I think an NBA first. And then right. McKee, McKee was Sixth Man of the Year. Yeah, I said that right. Um, yeah. So yeah. So like, I, I, I think that I think that might like, but it is is not like something that happens often per se. Not that I can think of. Yeah. It, um, and so that that is going to be. Uh, did Budenholzer win it with Giannis? He like, probably Budenholzer. got one of them. Because Giannis won. I think I think D'Antoni won it when Harden won it. I want to say. In twenty seventeen. I, I feel like he did. Right. It probably happened. I think it probably happened a little more often than you think. Kerr won it. It didn't happen much. It didn't happen much before Steve Kerr. Because then you had like Popovich and Budenholzer with the Hawks. George Carl with the Nuggets. Thibodeau won it with Derrick Rose, I believe. Okay. Oh, okay. That's interesting. And that, you know. So, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. Um, And Derrick Rose, there may be some similarities. They're not the one seed, obviously. But, um, you know, there may be some similarities. And look, I I don't think Thibodeau is the favorite to win Coach of the Year. So, I mean, I'm sure plenty of guys have been top three, you know, in that in that conversation. But when you're talking about a guy like Randall, where people may attribute some of the team's success to the coach and say they were playing a certain style of play, and um, you know, Thibodeau got the best out of him, you know, that take they, people may take a little bit of credit subconsciously away from Randall. Um, but yeah, I mean, statistically, you know, you got to have that conversation. Um, I don't know where the most improved player conversation really is at, but. He has to be in that one as well. Um, and all NBA, you know. I mean, if, if we're talking about we're talking about a guy for 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 MVP, he certainly should be in that that all NBA discussion as well. The forward position, it might. I mean, guard is tough. Forward is tough as well. So and, you know. and look, like I, you know me, I, I, you know, I'm the Steph Curry stand on this podcast, but I I don't see how you can make a case for Steph Curry over Julius Randle. This season, I don't think people should be making cases for Steph Curry personally. But I yeah. kind of, I kind of agree. Steph Curry is having an amazing season, but he doesn't have to be the MVP. Like, I, like you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Like there were years when Iverson was lead, led the league in scoring. He was incredible, and there were those years sometimes he didn't deserve to be an MVP. Like, I, like Steph Curry is an amazing player. What he's there done, are a lot of players in the league, and we've had a lot of players in the league who, like, yeah, if their teams didn't have them, they'd be you know the worst team in the league. You know. Portland, right. if they didn't have Dame, would be one of the worst right. teams. Like, you know, that I mean, can't be, that can't be the only reason like why you're putting them in the race. Yeah, like you got to put some other things in it, and right. like Julius Randle's team has, I, I don't want to say worst talent, but he don't got another Hall of Famer on his team, and yeah. he, he stayed. It, yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't get another All Star. Right. He 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 stayed durable. And his team is way more in a better position to make the playoffs than the, than the Warriors are. And you can say, oh, it's the West, but the West has been beaten up so much. Like, I don't know if that counts this year. Like, yeah. like the like they now these teams haven't taken advantage like they should have, you know. But like the Lakers, the Blazers, all these teams now the Nuggets, all these teams have had big injuries. So I don't know if I want to run around, like you run around saying, "Oh, we're ninth in the West." It, it's just like badge of honor the way maybe it was in past years. Normal years, yes. I don't know about this year. So 
Curry's had a great season. He's carrying the, the Warriors. What he's done in the last week has just been absurd, uh, besides that game against the Wizards recently. But I, I, I don't know how you put him above Julius Randle this year, given where his team is. That's me. I'm not saying that Julius Randle is better than Steph Curry. I would never say that. But, I mean, Randle has been there the whole season. He's been durable. He only missed one game. He's averaging six assists. He's getting 10 rebounds. He's averaging 24. He's playing solid defense. He's playing point forward. Like, again, on a team that people thought was going to be, I mean, a lot of people thought Knicks would be the worst team in the league this year. Like, that wasn't like a, oh, they were like, it was facetious. Like, they were, a lot of people looked at the roster and were like, this might, this could be the worst team in the NBA. And they're in the fourth in the East. And not, and it's not like, okay, but they're at three, like, they're six games above 500. They're, they're not in a position where they're only two games above 500, so it's not that serious. Like, they're a good team. They're legitimately, legitimately a pretty good team right now. So, I, I, I just feel like the conversation definitely should happen. And, and I admit, it's a weird year. Like, I'm like, in a normal year, Julius Randle wouldn't have a chance at the MVP given what's happened. But you've had uh, injury to Embiid, though he's come back strong. Uh, injuries to Curry, injuries to LeBron, injuries to James Harden, injuries to Kevin Durant, injuries to Kyrie Irving. Um, like uh, Anthony Davis is out. Like a lot of guys are getting have gotten injured, so that opens things up, you know, for other guys to step in. You know who've been there, and I just I just think that he he definitely I think should just be. I'm not saying he'd be my guy, but would he be on my ballot? I don't know how long the ballot goes. I was I think it's maybe up to four guys. I want to say I'd have strong consideration for him. Um, I think to me Jokic and Embiid are to me the definite top two guys, and after that I think it's kind of just a mishmash of whoever, like you know. Giannis has put up incredible numbers. I think his team's kind of been a little disappointing. You know, he's a better player than Julius Randle. He's had a better season individually. But given the talent he has and the talent Julius Randle has, you would have thought they maybe would have been a little better. Um, then you're talking about Steph and you're talking about, you know, Dame Lillard. And then you're talking about the injury guys, LeBron. And, like, now, like, now I'm getting the guys who haven't played that much. Like, certainly, like, Julius Randle's been there again all season. I think he deserves at least some of that talk. Uh... I saw someone say, Kendall, that they thought that if the Knicks can stay in the 4-5, or five, that they will definitely win around. Are you there? You say stay in the 4-5? or five? Well, well they might, that might be the Celtics, so there's no way you're picking the Knicks. <laughs> I, yeah, I no way I was going to go that far. But what I will right. say about the 4-5 or five and the whole Eastern Conference thing, those, between the, the Hawks, Celtics, and Knicks, one of those teams better get that 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 one of the, two of those teams better get that four or five. Well, you don't want to get the six because um, you'll probably get bounced in the first round. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's that simple. They, none of those teams want to see Milwaukee in the first round. Percent. Then you'll probably get bounced in the second round. Assume the Nets stay too. So, like, I think, I mean, I don't believe really much in the Hawks as a playoff team, but I mean, we're just gonna assume the Hawks, Knicks, and Celtics are all equally just as good. Like, I think those teams can knock off the Sixers in a playoff series. Um, you really do. Yeah, I don't. I mean, Simmons. I just don't trust Simmons in a playoff series. Um, Embiid's great. Uh, can't really say much about Joel Embiid, and that's going to be a tough matchup for all three of those teams. But uh, particularly the Knicks and uh, the, the Celtics. Philly. Embiid. 
But yeah, but yeah, besides should... that, you know, I'm not, I'm not that worried about. It. Philly to me has gotten to a weird stretch in the season where I wonder if they've kind of gotten bored by the regular season, and I don't want to take, I don't want to. I know they're on three game losing streak. I don't want to go crazy over what I may see from them down the stretch, because they to me have been, they've been the most consistent team in the Eastern Conference, the best team in the Eastern Conference. You know, Brooklyn has shown the most potential, the most upside. They've been the most explosive, but the injuries have just decimated them in a way in which they're just in, you don't know who's playing every night. It's crazy that it's good, considering how much guys have been hurt in on the lineup, and like you know, Kyrie just not playing, just not not even when he's hurt, just just not just taking time off for personal reasons. Like, but to me, the Sixers have been that team. So, I, I personally don't think. Well, let's get to the let, so yeah, let's deal with the Sixers thing. I don't think that either, any of these teams can beat the Sixers in a, in a seven game series. I've seen the Knicks play them three times. They lost all three. They were all very close games. One of them and B didn't play, but even when he played, they played close games. Well, no, that's not true. The first game they played, I think they blew them out. But the other two games, one without and B, was very close. Uh the Sixers are really the Sixers are a good team because not only are they really tough. Um, Offensively, because they have so many weapons, because Tobias Harris has played at such a high level, he's had a really underrated season. But when you add Tobias Harris, you know Danny Green sometimes can be hit or miss, but when he's on, I mean, he's just a sniper. And Seth Curry is Seth Curry. You know, he's just great. Everybody loves him. So when you combine that with Embiid and the Simmons running the show, they're just like they're a tough team to cover. And then defensively, they're so strong. So like yep. the idea is that to beat them, you feel like you got to get in the shootout. Which you don't really want to do against a team that good, but you kind of that's like they're just gonna score. Like the Knicks have played I against them, like they've played pretty games. well defensively against them, but like they just they're gonna score. So it becomes a thing where you gotta get in track me and and B defensively is so strong, he can guard on switches. He's great in the paint. Simmons, we know what he is. He's just a racist people on the perimeter. Um, and then you would think maybe Curry and Harris would be like an issue, but they haven't been. They've been good. I I, I still feel like them and Milwaukee. <laughs> in late game situations are just very beatable. Like, I mean, Brooklyn, <laughs> good luck. Like, you know, yeah, good luck. Yeah, yeah. Durant, the, game, Irene, yeah, the game is within four or five points in the fourth quarter late. I mean, last five minutes. I, I like, just don't know how, I don't know how you're beating them. Yeah. <laughs> in a playoff game. Like, yeah. yeah they're just getting know. too many, too many, they're getting too many good shots for them. They might've made good shots for yeah. the Knicks or some other team, but for them, like a Kyrie step back is a good shot. Like they can always get a good shot. Which is really, um, when it comes to playoff basketball, that's what it comes down to. Is can you get good shots late in games against excellent defense against where teams have have scouted you really well? Yeah, and that's I mean, the question you have with Milwaukee to, and with uh, and with and with Philly. The Heat were able to to go as far as they did in the playoffs last year because they like Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero and Goran Dragic were late game shot makers. Right, something that you know. Two of those guys, you know what you would have expected. <laughs> that those guys be able to do it. Uh, I mean, for the Knicks, I mean, Julius Randle has been that. I mean, let's just be honest. He's been, I feel like, one of the more clutch players in the NBA down the stretch. Um, and Barrett's, you know, recently has been able to hit big shots. Quickly, obviously, has certainly been a big shot maker um, as a rookie as well. And Knicks, I mean, look, the Knicks, are, it's going to be a street fight. I think it's even going to be even in tougher in the postseason. Um, they're a veteran team. They're not. They're playing very confident. They don't look scared or anybody. 
they're not a team I'd want to face in the playoffs. As a Celtics fan, I'd much rather face the Hawks. If you're talking about who I think we could beat, um, I'm not. I'm not scared of the Knicks. I'm not scared of. I'm not scared of the Sixers really as a one seed. Brooklyn, I ain't trying to see Brooklyn. You know, <laughs> right. you, know you know, if we saw Brooklyn, it probably would be a short series. But, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, but in terms of in terms of the Knicks, like I don't think anybody wants to play the Knicks. They're, uh, they're yeah, they're not. They're not fun to play against. Yeah. You know, even Brooklyn probably like, yeah, right, see Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, every game the Nets have played against the Knicks, and, you know, they've all been, well, the first, yeah, even the first game they, where it was like they kind of ran away with it, but the Knicks made it close at the end. Like, they just. And you're going to get beat up. Like, you play yeah. the Celtics. You're right. Like, Bro- Brooklyn does, the Celtics do the same thing Brooklyn does. It's not as good. So, mm-hmm. like, they, they can see that and say, oh, yeah, we can beat you. You know, Kyrie just outplay Kemba, which he's on every time. And. Just make sure Tatum doesn't go off, and you'll be good. Tatum around doesn't go off, and you'll you'll be good. You know, um, so yeah. I mean, I with the with the Knicks. I mean, you you know, if the Knicks keep it low scoring, you know, it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be a street fight, and they don't want to. They don't want to get into that. So yeah, in some regards, there are teams around the league that would rather face teams like the Celtics and Hawks than the Knicks. Um, right. It's funny you mentioned the uh, you mentioned Steve Kerr. Oh, you mentioned the Warriors, rather. I, I gotta, I gotta get a, get something on Steve Kerr off my chest. Okay. Um, you know, he made some comments about uh, my guy James Wiseman, uh, who we interviewed on our uh, on our YouTube channel uh, last year. Uh, obviously, Wiseman out for the season. You know, so, uh, you know unfortunate torn meniscus, uh, knee injury. Uh, shout out to him. Shout out to Danny Avdia, who uh, is out for the season. Um, you know, obviously we talked about the Jamal Murray one last week, so there's a lot of injuries this year, um, which is unfortunate, but, um, you know, Steve Kerr was talking about James Wiseman, uh, and essentially, uh, he was asked, um, about where he thinks James Wiseman was, uh, in, in his timeline, and Kerr essentially basically said, yeah, I don't think uh, Wiseman. First of all, he said, I, "I'm not sure if Wiseman's gonna be ready uh, to help us win with Steph, Clay, and Draymond. Um, that he's gonna take a little bit longer to develop. He's a big man, just fine. I guess he's being honest." Um, he also said, "We didn't realize he'd be as raw as he was when we drafted him. We only saw him play three games, so." You know, we didn't know what we were getting into, essentially. That is where I think he crossed the line. They asked, is he tradable or is he untouchable? And Kerr said that, you know, besides guys like Steph, Giannis, and LeBron, pretty much everybody in the league is tradable. Um, you, don't have to, you don't have to say that, Steve Kerr. Again, if you want to say, oh, you should be brutally honest. All right, but... This is the same guy, Steve Kerr, who, when he made a comment about Kevin Durant, I don't even remember what the comment was. I don't. I don't know if you remember EJ, but he made the comment about Kevin Durant a couple of weeks ago on a podcast. It was about. It was about like uh, he had more Last fun. Month. It was like he had he had more fun coaching like the year they were terrible than the, yeah. the last year when they won a champion or they went to the finals but lost. Right, coaching Kevin Durant. That was, and then that was, that was what he said. Like his last year coaching the finals, pe- you know, people kind of took it as a blast at Kevin Durant. 
Um, and he went, made it a thing to, no, oh, that's not what I said. People took it out of context, mm-hmm. listened to the podcast, made it this big thing saying, you know, his words got misconstrued. Well, and that he wasn't taking a shot at Kevin Durant. To me, what he said this time was very plain and clear. He's very obvious. In a presser, it wasn't a podcast. And well, this, no, this this was a radio show. Okay, this was a radio show. Let me let me let me clarify. Yeah. Um, this was a radio show, and he makes these comments about James Wiseman. To me, that is, I, you know, I mean, look, you can say what you want uh, about again. He's just being honest, but to me, that's you taking a shot at a young player, an unnecessary taking multiple unnecessary shots at a young player. I I don't think. I mean, look, Wiseman is, you know, okay, he's a professional, professional athlete. He'll, you know, you, they could, you know, bring him back, and you know, he's a he's a professional. He'll 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 be fine. He'll work hard. He'll put a give a, put a chip on his shoulder. But like, I don't know if Wiseman's gonna be back next year. Personally, I don't. I think that Kerr was way too hard when he's talking about we didn't know how raw. He only played three games. We knew he played. He played. He only played three games. It wasn't like it was a secret. Yeah, he only played three games. He's a big man. I'm a Memphis fan. I watched those three games. I watched him in high school. I could have told you James Wiseman was wrong. Like that 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 wasn't a rocket science. Right. To me, he's saying, "Oh yeah, we didn't." I feel like what you should say is, "Oh, we didn't realize Lamelo Ball would be as good as he was because we would have drafted him." Um, you know, or we didn't think Tyrese Halliburton would be as good as he was, or we would have drafted him. Like, and look, to be fair, like I didn't, I didn't think those guys would be as good as they were as they are but why is this why like why are you blaming it's like you're blaming Wiseman for not coming in as a ready-made product that you would have liked you you, you should have took EJ's advice and traded the pick oh yeah wait yeah you know I, I was on that for a very long time and now he's now he's whining oh I, I we didn't know we had to develop him oh <laughs> so I'm, I'm so feel so bad for you Steve Kerr they don't have Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson and Steph Curry and Draymond Green all in their prime. And so now you got to de- actually develop a young player like everybody else around the league. And now, it, because the guy is not a ready made 20 and 10 guy, you're out here complaining to the media. I don't like it. Yeah, I mean, so, so I've been one. I like Steve Kerr. I think that, um, well, one, I think I like that. I like his stance on the current issues involving social justice. Let me just be clear. But I, I also like him as a coach. I think that what comes across to other people, and maybe in this sense for sure, as arrogance, I think sometimes people don't understand. Like, he kind of talks in plain talk and kind of like he's very self-deprecating. So I don't think people get his humor. There wasn't like any humor here. This was just him talking. Um, so I, I say that just to say I, 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 I agree with a lot of what you said. I mean, I think that like when I read, when I'm reading these quotes, it kind of makes me feel like was there something going on where they were unhappy with James? I mean, he says that he, you know James is a really great kid and he's really talented. So I mean, he bigs him up in the times where he he does, while also making these things about these issues with regarding him being a big man that takes him longer to develop and being more raw because he only played three games, uh, being unsure. Of the timeline, I guess to me, I guess this is where this is <laughs> this is where keeping it real goes wrong. <laughs> Shout out Dave Chappelle. 
Because I feel like he's being honest, I think. I think some of the stuff is, like, does come across whiny. Like, you know, you didn't know how raw he was and played three games. Everybody knew he played three games. Everybody knew he was raw. So, like, I, I just don't I don't want to hear that. I'm sorry. Like, I, I just, I don't want to hear that as an excuse for, like, what, I don't even know if they're saying what went wrong, but just, like, where they are with him. Like, it's not, like he comes across a little bit like there's some frustration there, and it's just, like, you knew what you were getting into. Like, I, like what are you talking about? Everybody knew this when drafting him. Um, but to me, why they drafted Wiseman was clear to me. They thought that he was... He he was he was a player that made sense if all their guys were healthy to fill into the starting lineup given his position, and also they thought he was the best overall player in terms of a trade value if they need to trade him for someone else. Now that he can't say the second part, that's when he comes to the question about oh is he tradable? He's like ah, I mean anybody's tradable. I think that they they thought that look it, at worst comes to worst just like they used uh, D'Angelo Russell in this regard. If it doesn't make sense for us to keep him. We can always move him. And Golden State actually has a history of moving very high picks. They traded Chris Webber after one season. Like, yes. like, like you know, so, like, they, like if anybody in any organization, any city or any commu- basketball community knows about, you know, you know wagering high-value draft picks and trying to try to fill out your roster in a way that makes more sense, though they botched that when they did that, um, is this franchise. So that second part he can't say. So he's only saying the first part, so it sounds so it sounds super harsh. But as to me, they they knew a lot of what was going on. They 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 took the whole opportunity and said, "Look, worst comes to worst, this guy is a is a clear, rare kind of physical talent that would definitely definitely you know net back something good." Uh, but you know, like I told you, I, I mean, I told you, I think that they should have traded him to Chicago. I don't know how like. Like they could have got some some guys that actually could have came in and played for them, and Chicago would have taken James Wiseman. They could have got Wendell Carter. They could have got Lowry Market. They could have got more picks. Um, it made that whole thing work, and and, and they they didn't it didn't seem like they they, they made that that uh, a thing. So now they're in this position where I think he's like, yeah, I don't know if they're gonna they're gonna get there. I guess to me it just sounds like this like I don't know if I was a coach and I'm not a coach I'm not anywhere near Steve Chris level. But, like, my thing is, I'm going to try as hard as hell to make sure he's on the timeline of Curry and Thompson. Like, I don't want to hear, I don't know. It's like, what do you mean you don't know? You're part of this process. Like, like at the end of the day, like, yes, the player is the number one part in this. Like, he's got to just get up to speed. But you also have to develop him. So when you say, I don't know, it already sounds defeated. It sounds like you've given up already to me. It's not, like, like, to me... Yeah. You should, a year in, I know he got injured, and he had a lot of issues this year. Injuries, COVID, everything. But in a year in, you should feel like, okay, can we get there with him? You should know yes or no. I don't think he's I don't want to hear, I don't know. Like, I'm like, what do you mean I don't know? <laughs> I don't think he's making a statement if, or these statements, if Wiseman doesn't get hurt. I think he's making these statements because he knows Wiseman's not playing another game this season. Probably not playing another game as a Warrior. That's what I think they've come to the determination. I think they probably are. I, I, I mean, that's possible. I also head. think that there's just frustration. I think that there's frustration in that. Brad, what other coach does this? Like, Brad Stevens has dealt with, he's had plenty of great rookies, but then he's had plenty of guys who've come in. Romeo Langford's had injuries and was has been super raw early in his career. Aaron Neesmith was a lottery pick and barely get on the floor. Yeah. I, and, like, he, he's, at times he said, you know, yeah, this guy's got to play better. That's fine. But 
oh, yeah, you know, I mean, again, he's answering the question they're asking him, but, yeah, you know, this guy's tradable. If we would have known, I wish we would have known. All right, so now you're knocking the scouts? Like, who who are you blaming in this scenario? Are you blaming Wiseman? Are you blaming Bob Myers? Are you blaming yourself for not for thinking the guy was better than he? Like, what are you saying, Steve Kerr? Like, and again, I, to me, I, it's just it's such it's so backhanded. It's just not something that you typically think, see. I, yeah. But a team that really values a great young player. And, and I think also, I don't think they value. Yeah, and I think also, I think you know, I think the fact he's a young player is a, is a part of it that also rubbed me the wrong way. Is this is a 25-year-old veteran. Um, if he's saying these stuff about Andrew Wiggins, I, I'm right. like, whatever. Yeah, Andrew Wiggins been in the league. He ain't getting it up. Like, yeah, we don't know if, gonna, if this is going to work out. But you're talking about a young player who... But that's why I go back to, I wonder if they're not happy with him. I wonder if they don't know if he's doing the right stuff. Because like, what I see in these quotes, I didn't hear his voice. I see frustration. And I think that frustration lies... I know you're talking about the other stuff. I think the frustration lies with, you know, this guy is not available for us when we're going to need him. I don't think they have any grandeur, ideas of grandeur of, you know, winning a championship this year. But we could use him. We're very thin, and he's hurt again. He's out, out of the lineup again. And coaches, coaches technically tend to be even more prickly about that kind of, about lack of availability than even, like, front offices are. And I know just from playing for coaches who had, when you get guys who were in and out of the lineup, and they, they just, it's just something that they just, Sometimes they can't figure out that, hey, man, the guy's hurt, the guy's hurt. So I hear some of that in this. But, again, I, I do kind of wonder if there's something where sometimes you got to read between the lines of quotes and certain things. And when you say you'll know if the guy's going to get there, again, my, I would say, well, you're part of that process. My thing is, well, maybe they feel like the way he's attacking whatever rehab they're giving him, whatever, you know, you know uh, uh, crash courses they're giving him. Uh, uh, being a pro, maybe they're not seeing what they want to see, and maybe in some ways this is kind of a wake and up you know call. what? Like I don't think you should be doing wake up calls with number two picks in the draft in their rookie year. I just don't this not in this way. So if he even if that's what he's doing, I still don't agree with it. But I wonder if there's something there where they're like he's not where he's supposed to be, given all we've done for him, and that does happen. You have a guy and you're like they're talking like I, the way he's asking DJ, like <laughs> that's what it sounds yeah. like. Like, ah, yeah, you know, I mean, it's just not, I don't know, the talent, you know, we didn't, we didn't, this is what Ron Rivera was saying about Dwayne, Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, <laughs> right. you know, he's not doing all the right things, you know, we thought we got, we get a better player or a different player, <laughs> you know, like, and then they, 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 they cut him. You know, I'm not saying they're going to cut James Wiseman, it's a different sport, but I don't think James Wiseman, my interpretation, I don't think he's going to be a warrior anymore. That that's what I that's that's my that's my guess. I mean, it's, I and, and, it's and it doesn't totally mean they're going to get Bradley Beal. They, they, I think they'll settle for anything, like anything that they feel is best of value. I, mm-hmm. I don't, but I'd be surprised if Wiseman's a warrior next year. We making comments like those, right? It's. It, 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 you I mean, see- I think the Warriors. Yeah, I, I, I think that's very possible. I think the Warriors are going to be super aggressive this off season, and if they're going to be aggressive. He's going to go. Like, he's the guy that has to be traded. I mean, either him or Clay. You know, you hope that a team believes in Clay. Hey, look, man, I, I mean, we talked about Minnesota. Where they're at in their timeline, does Cat make any sense? Does Wiseman fit better into the Minnesota timeline? 
you know, I, these are questions that have to be asked. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, for sure. You know, that, that'll that be something. Now, I think if Cat ever gets on the market, uh, they'll be getting calls from more than teams like Golden State. <laughs> Probably teams with more to offer than Golden State. But, um, like the Knicks. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I'd imagine that they're going to make a call to Minnesota. Um, no, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, we should move on now to the NFL. Uh, we had a pretty big trade in the NFL. Again, it's rare because we don't usually see, you know, contenders within the same conference make a trade with each other. But that's what we got with the Ravens and the Chiefs. So the Chiefs sent over a first-round pick along with three other picks to the Ravens for uh, Pro Bowl offensive tackle Orlando Brown. So the, the, the picks that the Raiders, excuse me, the Ravens required uh, 31 this year, 30, uh, 94 this year, 136 this year. So that's a first, a third, and a fourth. And then a fifth-round selection for 2022. The Chiefs get, um, obviously, the Pro Bowler and Brown along with a 50, the 58th overall pick in this draft and the sixth pick in the uh, 2022 draft. This is, a, to me, a massive move for the Chiefs. Um, their offensive line was decimated by the time we got to the Pro Bowl, I mean, excuse me, Super Bowl, and it was the reason why they lost the game. They could not protect Patrick Mahomes just on any basic level, and the pass rushers for, um, for, for Tampa really just wreaked havoc. And the injury to Fisher and the rest of the offensive line, just, we saw them kind of slowly start to kind of decline throughout the year, and then they just didn't have it by the time Super Bowl came around. So you got a guy like Orlando Brown. We knew he was very unhappy in uh, in, in Baltimore. And you had a guy that good, that young. It's a great move, you know. Um, it kind of makes you kind of wonder with the with the Ravens, okay, you, you couldn't, probably didn't want to pay him. You don't want to, you know, he's very unhappy. But where do you go from here when you're a team that's also trying to compete for a championship? You know, perhaps they feel like there's, you know, tackles in this draft, and this is a pretty decent tackle draft. Maybe they feel like there's a guy they feel like they can plug in and can do the job. And maybe they feel like, you know, Lamar being as shifty as he is, maybe the need for a premier tackle isn't as needed. Uh, but I don't know. You don't – I mean, left tackle is, is among the most premier positions. I don't, I don't know – if you want to just be giving up Pro Bowl caliber players, but that's what they did with this trade. Yeah, I mean, the the Ravens. Well, first of all, for the Chiefs, I mean, look, they fortified their offensive line. Um, you know, they 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 spent big money to get Joe Tooney in the in free agency, um, and now you make this trade for for Orlando Brown, giving up a first round pick. And, you know, you're signaling to the rest of the league, like, look, we understood one of our biggest weaknesses was our offensive line, especially when Mitchell Swartz and Eric Fisher went down. Um, I think they still are kind of hoping that one of them will be back. To me, this is an indication that they know at least one of them is gone. You know, Fisher, we we know, blew his Achilles, obviously. So he, you know, and I think, what it, I forgot what Schwartz's injury was, too. But I think, ideally, I think they'd want both of them back they may they may both retire um that still seems up in the air but um you know orlando brown obviously look he is remember they also got kyle long too uh, yes he came out of retirement though i I think he's gonna play guard right 
Um, yeah, they brought in Kyle Long as well. So yeah, they've they've done a they they they've done a complete rehaul um, or overhaul of their offensive line, um, and they desperately needed it. Uh, and I I mean I'm assuming they're getting Duvernay uh, Tardif back, um, who left from uh, he left to 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 stay in Canada and do his uh, be a COVID doctor, um, a COVID nurse during the during the pandemic. Um, so he opted out the season. I believe he, he should be coming back, if I'm not mistaken. But um, so yeah, their offensive line is going to be completely overhauled, and you know it could be from going from one of the worst, or at least one of the uh, subpar offensive lines, to now maybe potentially having one of the better offensive lines in the league next season. Um, and that's scary because this is one of their bigger weaknesses. They still have some holes on the defense, uh, as you saw in the Super Bowl, obviously. But um, you know they're an offense that. I feel like Mahomes can turn guys that aren't elite weapons into big time players. I mean, Sammy Watkins has played great for them. Uh, you know, Demarcus Robinson's given them, you know, given them uh, plenty of snaps. And you know, you already have uh, guys like Clyde Edwards-Helaire, Tyree Hill, Miko um, Hardman. Like they, I think they feel good about where they're at with the skill positions. It was the line. It was the defense. Um, and they, Mahomes will figure it out, and, and Travis Kelsey, obviously, who I didn't mention as well. But the, I mean, look, I mean, this is a scary, this is a scary time in the AFC. Yeah. Uh, and if you're the Chiefs, like to get a guy like Orlando Brown, who you know, like it's similar to what the the 49ers did last year, bringing Trent Williams at the draft, like you know what Orlando Brown is going to give you. You can draft. You could have found another Clyde Edwards-Helaire at. Uh, at 31, or you know, Lejarius Sneed, who they drafted as well last year, you can find some diamond in the rough kid that's gonna be able to play in year one. But that's that's a risk. For all you know, you could have. For all you know, you could have ended up drafting, you know, like Jeff Gladney, like the, like the Vikings did, or drafting uh, Jalen Rager. You know, or guys that sometimes that that are gonna take a little bit longer to develop. So, getting a guy like Orlando Brown that shores up. Uh, a need at that tackle position is, uh, and showing up Patrick Mahomes' uh, blindsiders to me, it, it, it makes sense. For the Ravens, I mean, apparently it seems like they're gonna they're reaching out to Alejandro Villanueva, um, yes. you know, as a free agent. You know, and look, Orlando Brown, like you say he wasn't happy. You know, he 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 sees himself as a left tackle. Yeah, they they got Ronnie Stanley, so they feel like you know. Look, we can't we can't help you with that. You know, you're you're our right tackle, and you know, I mean, like you said, you have Lamar Jackson. You got if you, you feel like you're bringing Villanueva and right tackle. You look, it's great to have a, a Pro Bowl All Pro type of left tackle, right tackle, but um, you, you with Lamar Jackson and with Ronnie Stanley and the rest of the offensive line, I think they they probably feel like they can just get a guy, a veteran guy, at Villanueva. Maybe they still do draft a young guy. Um, late in the first round, if a guy falls, or you know, this is a, seems like a deep tackle draft uh, in terms of the late first round. So there's plenty of guys, and maybe even second round that they could look at. But I, to me, I think this Ravens team, like, I mean, I, I, I would imagine they're going to use that those draft picks to get some weapons, uh, or at least a weapon for Lamar Jackson. Because um, I think, you know, I mean, look, Hollywood was really shaky last year, yes. really up and down. Um, and they were hoping him to be. They were hoping for him to be their number one, and really separate himself as one of the better young receivers in the league. And he took a step back. And you know, we can say what we want about Lamar Jackson as a passer, but I, you know, I mean, 
a guy, the guy needs to get some weapons before we truly can critique him on that. Uh, we saw what Josh Allen was able to do with Stephon Diggs. I feel like this 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 Ravens team, like, I'm not saying they're going to draft Stephon Diggs in the late first round, but, you know, we've seen, I mean, look at what Pittsburgh was able to get a division rival with Chase Claypool in the second round. Um, look what the Vikings were able to get with Justin Jefferson. I, I saw a video for the first time uh, this weekend or this week um, when the Vikings were on the, they were, they were last year during the virtual draft, uh, they had cameras on Zimmer, um, their assistant GM, George Patton, and uh, who's now the GM of the Denver Broncos, and, and Rick Spielman. And they were talking about who they were going to draft or whatever and how they, they, they were settling on Justin Jefferson, but that the Eagles were on the clock. The Eagles were on the clock, and they assumed Jefferson was going to going to the Eagles. And they drafted Jalen Rager. You could see, like, I mean, Spielman and Zimmer were just were, were dying laughing. Like, oh, my gosh. They called in immediately. All right, call it in, Justin Jefferson. But, um, I mean, and we all know how that. that I mean, I'm sure you, while they were laughing, I'm sure I'd be seeing a lot of Philly fans were crying. Yeah. Yeah. And, they you were, know, I mean, based on what we've seen, rightfully so. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Justin Jefferson has certainly worked out. And I'll tell you what, I do. I still think Rager can be good, but he clearly is not Justin Jefferson. That's for sure. Yeah, that, that was a tough one. And, yeah, look, I mean, the Jefferson thing is – I, I still don't totally get it. There's so many that's the thing about receivers and people talk about like Devontae Smith and like oh but he you know he's not super fast or he's not super big like there is a lot of receivers in NFL history that you sometimes you just don't get it like I don't know I, I mean Jefferson is just he's just good like he just he knows how to get open he knows how to you know he's very savvy but like he's not a height weight speed guy you know and th- that's the thing about like Chad Johnson you know coming out. Or that's the thing about Marvin Harrison. Like, you, you, there are certain players around the league where, or certain receivers that aren't height weight speed guys. And that was Justin Jefferson. I wasn't super high on him, but it ended up working. Ended up working in the long run. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, this this is a great opportunity for the for the Baltimore Ravens to pick up some weapons for Lamar Jackson uh, late in the first round. So whether it's Rondell Moore, or it's Rashad Bateman. I mean, we'll 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 see who they who they uh, invest in but and they, you know they're also a team they could decide to trade up now you have two late second round picks so um yeah yeah very rare like you said very rare to you know rival rival trade essentially because i would say these two, these two teams are uh as close to rivals they can get at this point uh for teams that aren't in the same division um and for them to swap star players like that, not swap, but for the Ravens to trade a star player like that to a team like the Chiefs, that makes me think that there's they're not worried. Like, for whatever reason, they feel like, all right, like, we're going to get somebody with this pick that we value more than Orlando Brown. And even if it means giving them to the Chiefs, we're not that worried. So that's interesting to me. But uh, regardless, uh, I, I mean, as you can tell, I'm making a very excited for next week's draft. Egypt. Yeah, no, sorry, my mic was a cut off a little bit. But yeah, no, we'll definitely for sure we'll definitely have more um content for this uh draft coming up because I am also really excited with that as well. But uh let's wrap the show talking about the, the, the situation going on in the world of soccer where there's been a lot of turmoil after several, or not several, just like almost 19 teams, I think, uh, all tried to uh, leave their respective... 15? 
You know, it was 15. I don't know the exact number, but a good number of teams uh, try to uh, leave the UE the the, the UEFA to yeah. form their own Super League, um, and it drew drew a lot of uh, pushback. And I guess you, you want to go more in depth in terms of what happened because. We saw protests in the streets. I mean, it you know, chance. Oh yeah, yeah, it was scary times. Fire owners. I mean, it was it was really intense. What was going on? Yeah, I mean, so essentially, um, you had a situation where out of nowhere on on Sunday, um, you know, and look, first of all, let me let me set the stage. If you're not a soccer fan, um. You know, obviously, you know, you have every every country has their own league where these teams play in. So Manchester United or Liverpool play in England. They play in the Premier League. You know, Real Madrid and Barcelona will play in, uh, you know, La Liga uh, in, in Spain. You know, you've got leagues in Germany, Italy, all the best, all the best countries in Europe. Every country's got a soccer league. But then they all there was also the like EJ mentioned, the UEFA Champions League that, you know, has the best. All those best teams in Europe, they compete uh, depending on how they stack up in their individual, um, you know, countries. The year before, they qualify for that Champions League, which is all the best teams mm-hmm. in every country compete in every every European country competing to be the best team in Europe, considered the best team in Europe. Well, you had twelve. It was twelve teams. I just I just I just checked, but you had these twelve teams. Um, Essentially, all the best teams in England, the the Power Six, um, Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United, Man City, Chelsea, and Tottenham Hotspur. Um, and then you had three teams, the three primary teams in Spain, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Atletico Madrid. And then you had three teams in Italy, Inter Milan, AC Milan, and Juventus. Basically, that's almost every big brand name club in the in the in the in the world yeah. outside of Bayern Munich in Germany and Paris Saint Germain PSG in France. Yeah. Maybe you throw Dortmund in 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 Germany in there as well. Every, outside of those three clubs, every big club in the in the world was invited to this league. And they essentially said, screw like the screw the this this concept that we have to qualify for mm-hmm. the Champions League. Because look, Manchester United, I'm a Manchester United fan they were they didn't qualify for the Champions League this year because they were bad in the yeah. in the Premier League. They weren't top five or top six or whatever you have to be to qualify. Top, I believe uh, Arsenal didn't qualify yeah. for the for the Champions League. So these teams were like, and you lose a lot of money if you don't qualify for the Champions League. You're playing in the in the B division. It's like the Euro League. If you're a basketball fan, it's like the Euro League uh, over in Europe as well. Well, these clubs were like, yeah, screw this idea that we got to qualify. You know. And screw this idea that we have to we have to share this money with thirty two. It's a thirty two team tournament. The, yeah. the champion. They just expanded thirty six. They they were like, we why are we helping Joe Schmo, the team that wins Scotland, or the team that wins, <laughs> yeah. you know, random, you know, country the, Por- the, the Portuguese league. Yeah, yeah, the Portuguese league or the Russian league. We don't want to play those teams. Right. They don't help <laughs> us. We we help them. Why are we helping them? And their excuses: look, the pandemic. We lost a lot of money, so we need money. Um, so he decided, all right, us 12 teams, we're the teams that everybody wants to see. We're just going to do our own league, you know, have the TV rights be through the roof and we're going to have all the money to ourselves and we don't have to qualify. We're just going to play ourselves. 
in a tournament. And as you can imagine, Europe wasn't having it. Uh, soccer fans weren't having it. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we saw um, FIFA come out and say, um, if this goes through, any player that plays on any of those teams, which is, again, is the, are the biggest clubs in the world, any, 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 any player that plays, in those, that plays in those teams can't play in the World Cup ever again. Wow. Um, we saw the UEFA, you saw each individual country's uh, league, like the English Premier League, come out and say, we may, we may suspend that team or drop them to the bottom of the standings if they, if they go through with it. This season, in the middle of the season, we're going to drop these teams to the bottom of the standings. And possibly, I don't know, we're going to relegate them, like, <laughs> like yeah. to the to the to the second division. Like, I mean, it was it was the nuclear option. Like, how serious this was in Europe. Like, that would be essentially. I mean, the closest comparison to American sports I could think of is if you had in college football all like the the 12 best teams in college football saying screw conferences, screw mm. playoffs. We're going to we're going to do our own league. Maybe even keep the conferences, but screw the college football playoffs. We're going to play for our own title. Right. And the yeah. rest of the teams can go through themselves. Yeah, we don't got to qualify like, for it or anything. We just it's just our championship. Yeah, no, we're all going to just play in the in the in the in the in the tournament. Like this <laughs> or the NCAA it's like in college basketball. Like if you didn't add no concept of a of a bubble like you just these teams automatically qualify. Yeah. Forget the season. Forget competing. And of course, like look, you have fans of teams that like aren't I look college football, you're a Miami fan. Mm-hmm. Would they be a part of a college football super league of the top twelve teams in college football? Probably not. Mm-hmm. I'm a Pitt fan. No way they'd be in, in that in the discussion. Miami may be in the discussion. <laughs> Pitt's not even gonna be in the discussion. Yeah. So, like, my team, imagine being a fan of that team who's, all right, so now we can't even compete for a national title because yeah. these teams <laughs> these teams feel like, oh, no, nah, we're better than you guys. And it's like, like I saw Rio Ferdinand, Ferdinand <laughs> who was, you know, like, he was a former great player, Manchester United, England. He was he was doing the, the, the studio uh, analysis of this, and he was talking about it saying, you know, who do these countries think they, I mean, who do these clubs think they are? Who's Tottenham to say that you're, I'm one of the twelve best teams in the in the continent? Yeah, I don't I don't even know when the last time Tottenham even won a yeah he was like uh, when they English Premier League championship yeah that's what he was saying like when's the last time they won anything? <laughs> so why why are they all of a sudden feel like oh yeah nah we we we, we get this thing and it's like again first of all shout out to Bayern Munich shout out to PSG yeah. for not falling for this Ponzi scheme or whatever <laughs> you want to call it. Um, just to get money, it was all about money, and it's like I don't know. It, it you know it just takes away the entire the entire thing of competition. And look, you have like your casual fans that are like, "Yo, it would have been cool to see all these great teams just playing each other." And maybe, but like again, if you're a purist or you're a fan of the sport, again, imagine as a college football fan, if we only had twelve teams playing each other, or the yeah. only teams that mattered played each other, yeah, that would stink. There would be nothing to play for. There would be nothing to worry about. So, yeah. That, that, essentially, that's what happened with the, with, the, with the Super League. It was a joke. It was a disgrace. And, ultimately, 
these teams that kept saying, oh, no, nah, we're sticking through. We don't care about this this World Cup ban. We don't care about anything. They blinked. They all, they all, the teams in England all pulled out. Real Madrid still saying, nah, I mean, look, we'll be, we'll be back. <laughs> the, the, the Super League will be back, but it's over. I mean, they, the, 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 again, all the teams in England pulled out, said, nah, we actually, uh, upon further, uh, discussion, we decided this wasn't a good idea. And again, they all, they just, try, they, this wasn't something that had been in the works. They just dropped a press release. Yeah, it came out of nowhere. In the middle of the day, middle middle of the day, on a Sunday night, yeah, this is what we're doing. New league, two years, be ready. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that would have been, it would have been a catastrophe, you know. And it's just again, it's just sad. Yeah, Tottenham has not won a, a Premier League title since 1961. I mean, yeah. honestly, that'd be like, <laughs> that'd be like Nebraska saying like, <laughs> yeah, Yo, we're yeah, we in the, we, yeah, we in the college football super league. It's like what? Like, you haven't won anything in decades. What are you talking about? Yo, I saw the Athletic did their version of college football super league. They were getting killed because they put Nebraska in there. People were like what? <laughs> it was it was it was some lunacy. It was like they like, put it, Nebraska over Auburn. They put Nebraska over Florida State, Miami. Like yeah, maybe, Nebraska. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe the Athletic. Maybe they got an office in Lincoln somewhere. Maybe, maybe they right? got a fan. They must have a. They must have a loyal readership. The whoever has the Nebraska. Beat writer must be a loyal. We have a loyal readership. I don't know. Yeah, Nebraska football has not mattered for a very long time. Yeah, it's wild, man. It's but it's me. It's just wild, just how the 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 it's wild the lengths that these uh sports institutions will go to make a buck and just be damned about the fans, about tradition, about all of it. I mean, even when it comes to this NFL extending the game to seventeen games uh, season to seventeen games, which we knew was going to happen. In the last CBA, stats are gonna be ruined. Yeah, and everything's like yeah, it's like all that stuff. Like none of that stuff mattered. All that mattered was the bottom line. And with this super league thing, from what I saw, it seemed like all that mattered was the money at the end. It didn't matter that none of this stuff made sense. It didn't matter that uh, you were rewarding fr- you know franchises that hadn't done anything. I, mean, I saw the Arsenal fans were just livid. I mean, they were livid because that. Their ownership and their team has done nothing for them for a long and, time. Yo, and that that's that's the part of it. I forgot to mention that. That's the part of this that makes this extra gross. Is that and look, I'm an American. No no issue with that. Like I you know, I would love to own a soccer team. But like mm-hmm. you've got these you've got all these teams, a lot of them aren't owned by people that live in those countries. They're just owned by billionaires across the world. Yeah. Like John Henry Owner of the Boston Red Sox and his Fenway Sports Group owns Liverpool. They own Liverpool. Yeah. Now they're doing a good job, to be fair. And they're doing a good job. Yeah. The Glazers, the Glazer family, own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They own Man U. Yeah. No, not so good. You know, <laughs> like they, 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 these teams aren't owned. These soccer teams aren't owned by, you know, like these, 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 like the people of Britain. Like they're not the Green Bay. They don't have the Green Bay Packers of. Where it's like, oh, you know, the local community, they they just really want this. No, this yeah. is. And you got Josh Kroenke who owns. Yeah, yeah, Stan Kroenke, uh, yeah. And Kroenke's running the running. Uh, what's the name? Uh, Arsenal. Arsenal. Like these are just these are people. I, look, I am. I don't know Stan Kroenke. I don't know the Glazer family. I don't know uh, John Henry, but I just can't imagine they're like diehards out there. You know, I'm sure they want their teams to win. But at the end of the day, they're also just part of a portfolio. 
And yeah. they looked at the portfolio and was like, why are we losing money? They all complaining, why are we losing money? And so they're like, oh, we'll just, we'll just, this is the easy way to make money. Screw tradition. Like you said, screw like integrity. It's soccer. And it's like, man. Like, and that's why it was so hard for the people in Europe. Because, again, say what you want, you know, again, I, I'm an American, but like, American, this this isn't an American sport. Like, not, at least not historically. So, like, I mean, it'd be like if in the NBA you had a bunch of owners from England or a bunch of owners from any country, Spain, India, yeah. that came in and were like, yeah, we're going to change these rules just because, you know, it's going to make us more money. And it's like, wow. You know, and, and, I don't know. It's well, And especially when it comes to, you know, yeah, I know, you know, just taking Kroenke, for example. I mean, Stan Kroenke is one of the richest men in America. So it's just like you can I mean, take the losses, man. Yeah, I'm like, yo, I'm like, you, you really need this buck that bad. I mean, I mean, <laughs> the Arsenal fans have been suffering under your under your ownership, dog. Like you come in and you run the team into onto, into the ground. This was a great, you know, if anybody knows anything about soccer, I mean, Arsenal is a very rich tradition <laughs> as a as a as a soccer team, and you run them completely into the ground. The fans have been miserable for years, and really, you you doing this is what you pulling. And it's funny. Ball. How about how about you use the money you have to actually get some good players? Yeah. <laughs> to the team? Why why are you trying to get a guaranteed check to, to, like, so you can be a part of a fake playoff? How about you actually build the team up so you can make the real Champions League instead of what you've been doing for the last few years? This is but these guys they don't want they don't care about hard work. They don't care about like you know uh, actually earning your way. They call about earning the bread. And that's what the, that that drove all of this. It seems like. And um, Rio Ferdinand, he mentioned how a team like PSG, couple remember a couple of years ago, they caught a lot of flack because they had owners coming in from the Middle East who had a ton of money, just mm-hmm. easily just the most the richest owners in all of sports, probably came in and just they just bought they just bought Neymar, just bought all these great players, and this was just, they were like. It felt like, oh, this isn't what they consider, quote-unquote, fair play. You know, you're just buying everything. And it's like, well, this is this is the same ownership group that was like, yeah, nah, we, we're not going to be a part of this. We're no interest. Again, yeah. probably because they don't need the money. But, like, yeah. also, like, it, like they ha- clearly have some sort of integral bone in their body. Right. So, yeah. I mean... It's it, you know again. It's just wild. Team. I mean, it's wild though. Like to me, it's just it's what's sad to me is that like the way they these powerful. I mean, teams are almost like corporations, but at the very no. least, these powerful clubs think that they can just step over fans and step over people. Just they step over the little clubs. Yeah, step over other clubs. Yeah, and I mean, we, we say little. I mean, some of these clubs aren't even little. They're just not as big as <laughs> yeah. that. Like Everton and, and Leicester City is not. You know, they're not little clubs. <laughs> Like, you know, they're real teams, you know? Like, uh, you know, Villarreal, you know, they don't think they're a little club. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you just like, y'all don't matter no more. Like Those teams in those other countries, like a team like Ajax in the Netherlands. Right, yeah. A team like Celtic in, in Scotland. Teams that feel like, yo, we're, like, I mean, we may not win the Champions League, but we, we can, all right, play us. Let's see what happens. Right. But these teams are like, no, we don't even, we don't even want to bother with you guys. And, you don't even I mean, want to have to beat you guys to qualify to not play you guys. 
Yeah, I mean, it's again, just imagine the arrogance of somebody if somebody did that in college sports. Like, Duke Coach K was like, "Yeah, nah, we're done with this NCAA tournament where we have to play these teams like Mercer and Lehigh. We're just we're just gonna we're only gonna play Sweet Sixteen against the best sixteen teams in the country, uh, not because." The fans want to see it, but because our, us as the school has determined we're the best 16. So we're the only teams that people actually want to see. And, and we can make more money doing it. So, I mean, look, it's egotistical. They didn't get away with it, you know. And I, to, the fact that they folded so quickly, is it's embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, really thought this, this was going to work? Yeah, this was, well, this was one of those Catch Me If You Can deals. It was Catch Me If You Can. <laughs> we're going to try to ram this, through, this thing through. And people's attention spans just weren't up to snuff, and they just weren't going to fight enough. Like, we just get this thing, and it'd be easy. You know, um, they kind of... It's funny, I just watched the... Uh, I rewatched 30 for 30 on... Um, on uh, Dude, they used to own the Islanders. Um, that was like a con man. Like, he had no money. Right, <laughs> he's yeah, worth, he's yeah. worth thousands of dollars. He said he was a billionaire. And, like, even so much of that was, like, the same thing. It was just, like... Like, he ran in just the right circles, and if he worked... He, he moved quick enough and got the right amount of yeses, he, he could have pulled it off. And that's kind of like how I feel with this it was. It was just like, this thing is clearly a scam, but if we just do it quick enough, we just talk to the right people, and we just ran this thing through, it, you know, it won't matter. I mean, the difference there was, you know, they were battling against, you know, he was battling against a fellow multi-millionaire billionaire who was owning the Islanders who was like where is my money so <laughs> that was a problem you know, he's going against, against another strong institution uh, but here it was just going to have to be the power of the people in these other clubs who aren't as powerful to, to fight them and, and you know fortunately they were able to come through with this because uh, I love the Champions League I love the concept of it and the fact that they tried to do this man this, this would have been corny and I'm glad they uh, they put a stop so they, uh, stop was put to it and the fans deserve a lot of credit for really getting out there and letting it be known that they just weren't going to have this. And then shout out to FIFA and, and UEFA and those and those uh, organizations for being strong and being like, all right, y'all want to play? We will play with nuclear fire just like you guys are playing with nuclear yeah, fire. Yeah, because right it wasn't, in theory, it's not in FIFA's best interest to say, yeah, we don't want any of the best players in the world playing in the World Cup. Or Right, but the, call that, bluff, that, but the call that bluff was important, though. Yep. Because they knew at the end of the day that's the card they have on the table. Yeah, that's every, yes. We just put everything out there, and those clubs, yeah. those clubs could have stood in the pocket, but they weren't. They weren't gonna mess. They weren't yeah, gonna play that game. Yeah, to even think about pulling out of the World Cup is just. I mean, you worry want to see people in the streets. You'll see yeah. people really in the streets if that becomes a situation. It's not yeah. like in the NBA where it's the Olympics for us. It's like, oh, we won't have LeBron in the Olympics. It's not a tragedy, you know. <laughs> if you know Neymar is not lined up for Brazil, I mean, my God, I don't even want to think about who, the problems you're gonna have. Because these clubs want to have some exclusive deal. That that's no way that would have worked out. So I'm glad it. Uh, I'm glad it was. They put the kapash on that. Um, but this was a good show, Kendall. Thanks for, uh, for talking to me. Thank you guys so much for checking it out. Of course, you can catch all of our podcasts on New Generation Podcast Network on Apple Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, be sure to check us out on social media. Uh, well, first of all, catch us on YouTube, New Generation Media. And catch us on social media as well. You can find us uh, on Twitter, New Generation Pod, Instagram, New Generation Podcast. You can follow us individually on Facebook, New Generation Media. Um, 
And you can find me on social media as well, EJ underscore Stewart on Twitter, Action EJ on Instagram. Ken Luck can be found on Twitter, at NewGenKen. Thank you guys so much for checking out this podcast. We'll be back next week with more sports talk. Once again, rest in peace to Terrence Clark. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys.